listening to the Rent Roll Radio Show with Sterling Chapman. Hey, Rent Roll Radio listeners. Thanks for coming back. Today, we have a, a really special guest that I'm, I'm pretty excited about. I actually had the opportunity to meet him in person and watch him speak on stage at the Best Ever Conference in Keystone a couple of weeks ago. I really wanted to bring him on board because he specializes in an area that we just haven't really been able to dive deep enough into on the show. And I really, you know, received a lot of questions about it and I wanted to dive in and that's the the mobile home park and self-storage space. So today we have Ryan Smith who co-founded Elevation Capital Group with his wife. And these guys are just rock stars. I mean, they have purchased over 475 million in assets. And that's across 175 different individual assets over 30 different states. So they're absolutely killing it. And thank you so much for joining us, Ryan. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for doing it. So let's back up to the beginning. How did you get started? I particularly remember, if I'm remembering correctly from your story, did you invent a software in high school? Yeah, I mean, I, I like writing software. I like tinkering. I still to this day, I like tinkering. And, and there's actually in the ground floor of our building, there's a restaurant, a small organic vegan restaurant. And so about a month and a half ago, I wrote a one-page business plan for her on how she could overhaul her marketing and her pricing strategy and restructure the uh, foyer of her restaurant to accommodate more guests and gave it to her. And she implemented them and she's doing great. <laughs> and so now I keep free. So but the point, I, I, I like to, I always like to think about ways to do things better. So I like software because software at the time, it was nascent and when I was 10, 11, 12, I would go to different places. I'd go to my teachers and I'd write them a software application. Like we had a teacher who a lot of people would come in late for class and she'd have them sign, sign a sheet, which I thought was inefficient because there's no data and it's not structured and she can't run reports. So I wrote an application that you know, she can put on a computer and then the students can go log in, log their, their tardiness and she can run reports. And so I took it upon myself to write it, hand her the disk, say, this will solve your problem. And so anyway, I, I would do that pretty regularly. So I like I like solving problems, making things Man, better. Analytical to the bone. I, I could barely check my email in high school. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun. I enjoyed that. So yes, to answer your question, my dad was a real estate investor and I was kind of his informal analyst. So I would help him analyze his investments. And I recognized that he really needed a tool. My dad's ADD, he's ADHD, he's brilliant. But he just really needed a tool to help him be able to do it for himself. And so I said, hey, this is... I like writing software. This will be a fun challenge to tackle. So I spent, I can't remember what year it was, but I spent my entire summer, it was about three and a half months. I had this giant CRT tube and I coded pretty much all day, every day for three months straight. And my eyes hurt because the CRT tube, you know, it just, it hurt and ended up making the software application, showed it to him. He didn't even know I was building it and it worked and he loved it and told some friends and I ended up having about a hundred and I don't know, roughly 140,000 users of all the software I wrote for that industry. Awesome. What an intro into the real estate environment. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. So was your dad in the similar space that you're in today? Did he do mobile home parks and self-storage as well? He didn't. He was primarily single family, residential, kind of buy, fix and hold, rent out long term. So not really a flipper, but just buy, improve and then keep. He came from, you know, dirt floor poor, was a roofer out of, out of high school and realized that, you know, the people who owned all the money were the ones who owned the roofs, not the ones standing on the roof. So he got off the roof and bought roofs, you know, it was kind of his model. And I learned a lot from him. And there's a, there's actually a picture of 
family picture of me on the, my dad was re-roofing a house when I was, I think I was probably one, one and a half, actually probably less than one actually, but he was re-roofing a house, a rental property and the crib was on the roof. And I was <laughs> the crib, you know, so, <laughs> so yeah, I had an early exposure. They'd probably, they'd probably call CPS on him today. <laughs> <laughs> they probably did then too. <laughs> yeah. So, what did you do next? So I assume you, you sold the software and, and it kind of gave you a little nest egg to start investing with? Or how, did, how does this story progress after high school? Yeah, so I got, it, it was an interesting story. So I licensed my software out to a bunch of different companies, ended up licensing it to one company, which was interesting. It was Trump's company. Oh, nice. Got to meet him and Eric and Don Jr. and Ivanka and spend, I think it was three days at the Trump Tower and got to, and that was, you know, regardless of political persuasion, it was a, it was an interesting experience, you know, in the early 2000s, but licensed the software out. And, you know, in, in high school and college, I got drafted professionally for baseball by the Baltimore Orioles and ended up playing baseball all the way through my college years. And so really had a choice of brains versus brawn, you know, do I play sports or do I go kind of a software entrepreneurial route? And I chose the entrepreneurial route and would do it 10, 10 times over. So yeah, to your question, took the capital I had. I made a, a you know a fairly good amount of money from the software company, which was great. Took that and started. Jamie and I, my wife and I, she has a managed property management background. We started buying single family houses. We built a portfolio of probably around twenty five single family houses, long term by fix and hold. Then we figured out around I think the twenty fifth home roughly that it wasn't as scalable as we thought it would be. You know, at that point, we were beyond really both of our parents in terms of the number of assets. So we were in our, you know, I think Jamie was 21, 22, I was 24-ish. And so we were kind of paving new ground and we found that the space just wasn't that scalable. And so we looked for something we thought was better. And so we just analyzed everything we put our hands on. We analyzed storage, mobile home parks, billboards, office, retail, industrial, and at the time, the two things we liked the best, we thought the two best asset classes that could generate the best and most predictable cash flow, capital appreciation, tax benefits, and non-correlation were what we were looking for. And based on our analysis at the time, we thought mobile home parks and self-storage were the best bets. And that's where we started. Awesome. So yeah. w- what did that look like when y'all started out? What type of mobile home parks and you know, how, how did that first deal look? That was rough, man. I mean, the, the stuff we... It's funny. We the stuff we bought, or you know, originally were they were rough. They were you know probably one to two star parks on a range. You know, real rural. We bought one in Middle Tennessee, r- roughly around Jackson. Then we bought another one near Jackson, Tennessee. Then we bought one. I think it was in just outside of Louisville, Kentucky. And and where are you located? Orlando. You're in Orlando. Okay. Yeah. So our our thought was there are two ways you could proceed. This was our thought process. You can buy where it's convenient and just hope that your market's the best or you can buy the best assets wherever they might be in the best markets for what we were looking for at the time. And so we decided the latter, not the former. And so we originally, we started finding deals, just cold calling. You know, my wife and I found your property. We're interested in buying a mobile home park. We liked yours and wanted to see if you'd ever think of selling. And if so, you know, kind of, kind of thing. And we got some doozies. I mean, some just great. I mean, we got one, I, I can't, it was in Kentucky, I believe, off of memory. I think we got it under contract. We bought it for, I think we put $18,000 down, you know, seller financed the rest. And I, I would say, I mean, the, the amount of money we made on that was just, it was 
ridiculous. So just great deals. A lot of them were just banging the phones. Then we got to the point where we wanted to scale that. So we had a lot of kind of stay at home moms. We're in our, at this time, we're in our twenties, you know, and thirties and our friends are having babies. And a lot of the stay at home moms are wanting to do something, you know, they're kind of getting the edge to be on, you know, a lot of them are entrepreneurial. They want to actually do something. And so we said, Hey, when, when you have free time in the day, you know, you take Florida, you take Alabama, you take Kentucky, you take we had this, we had this little brigade of stay at home moms uh, that were friends of ours and they were just war dialing all day long. And we, you know, if we bought the deal, we gave them a, a piece of the pie. And I remember one, one of the stay at home moms, uh, she's related to us. She's the great gal, but I, I think she, we ended up buying a mobile home park. And I think, I think we ended up paying her roughly $40,000 or so for yeah. that. And her husband wasn't really on board with her doing that. So we went to dinner with her and we got the $40,000 in cash and he didn't, he didn't know. And so at the, at the end of the dinner, we just said, part of this meal is to celebrate what your wife just did. And you probably don't know, and she's not expecting this, but we just wanted to pay her in front of you. So we took a bag out and $40,000 on the middle of the table it looked like a, a mafia deal gone wrong. But, it was, <laughs> but was he on board after that? Smart yeah. man. Smart yeah. man. Yeah. So, yeah. What do your mobile home park deals typically look like? So the model that I've typically heard of in the past is basically you buy the park and then any of the actual trailers or, or mobile homes that belong to the park, you kind of immediately sell or finance out because you don't want to own any of the property. Is that the approach or mechanically, what are the, what are those business plans look like when you go after a mobile home park? Yeah. So there's a lot of options your listeners have, you know, there's paths that they can take. So there's, I'll say, there's the buy the ugly park and make it nice kind of model. I'm paraphrasing or the buy the nice park and run it well kind of model and find incremental ways to add value. Originally we started with the former and today we do the latter. So kind of just to be specific, what we look for today is we want to own parks. We really don't want to own any of the homes at all. And so we just want to own the land. It's basically a residential land lease, you know, uh, equivalent. So we want to own the land, not the home. And to the extent that there are homes in the park that the park owns, we want to sell them away. It's really dicey to finance them because that's not likely compliant with the, with the, with the laws. So you know, seller financing is pretty dicey without being licensed. So we really don't want to be in the business of owning a lot of homes. And you know, So you sell them for cash then? For sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We, we want to sell them for cash and just be done with it. Yeah, for sure. So... You know, or we do an incentive, like for example, you could do a, a $10,000 move-in incentive where you bring in your own mobile home, you buy it, finance it, bring it in, and we'll give you $10,000 credit. You can use it on skirting. You can use it on to pay the next X months of your, your lot rent, however you want to use it. You can get a tough shed or, or whatnot, which seems like a lot of money, but one, and it is, but when you spend $10,000 in that way, it's an advertising expense, marketing expense. You can write it off. So it's not, it doesn't cost 10,000 after tax. And then the other benefit is if let's say the park is $500 a month of lot rent, you know, let's just say 500 a month, that's 6,000 a year, you know, and yeah. let's say one third is operating expense. So you have 6,000 a year, it's 4,000 a year net. And if that park is a, let's say a five cap asset. So you have 4,000 divided by 0.05 is basically $80,000 in capitalized value. So you spend 10, you write it off, you may pay six after taxes to get 80,000 in unrealized gain. Oh, wow. Never looked at it like that before. Yeah, done, done, and done. 
So when you were talking about having a, your little army of stay-at-home moms calling for you in your early 20s, that was when you guys were using your own money, correct? Correct. Yep. So it looks like since then you've raised a good bit of money. What did that transition look like? At what point did you decide you wanted to start syndicating and what moves did you make? And did you start looking for different types of deals? Kind of go through that process with us. Yeah, I, I, I will encourage your listeners by saying I'm, I'm far less intentional than the, your question may make me sound. So, so that may be encouraging. And what I mean by that is your listeners probably know a lot more than I did at the time. Now, knowing is great. Doing is the difference. You know, I I don't struggle with that part. But so in short, it was a really interesting story. I'll make it really short. I got introduced. I have a good friend of mine who I was fortunate to meet in my 20s. He was 40 years my senior. Really neat guy. But he introduced, he watched us build our business. And in one day he said, you know, I really want to introduce you to a friend of mine named Brian Don, who I I didn't know who that was. And he just said he owns 55,000 units. You know, he owns and operates 55,000 rentable units in the real estate space, primarily self-storage at the time. I think at the time, my wife and I had about a thousand units or so, somewhere around there. And so he's like, do you want to meet him? I come from a blue collar background. I didn't, you know, I I'm slogging it out. You know, we're ward dialing the country trying to get a, a way to a thousand units. And this guy's 55,000. Like I, I can't even wrap my mind around that. I mean, still struggle to you know, I said, yeah, I'd, I'd walk backwards across country to meet with him, you know, had twice. So he called, he called me a couple of days later. He said, good news, bad news, good news. We'll meet with you. Bad news is it's tomorrow night in Newport beach, which is you know South of LA and we're in Orlando and at, <laughs> at night, my time. So Jamie and I, this is very much us. We're like, it's not a problem at all. We'll be there. Just give us a time, a location. So the, and the next morning we book a flight, first flight out, fly to LA, flight was late. We had to get dressed in the bathroom, hustle down <laughs> to Newport Beach. We made it like 15 minutes to spare. And then I sit there you know, for dinner, meet Brian, who's exceptional. And he asked me, he just starts asking questions. And he asked us the whole, the whole dinner, where he's, he's asking us questions. And I just remember being incredibly annoyed because I'm like, I, I didn't, I'm bored with me. I want to know about you. You know, I, I don't, you know, so he just asked me these questions. And so at the end of dinner, he goes, you know what? He's like, I'm really intrigued by you guys. And he said, I'm going to give you 30 more minutes of my time and I'm going to stay. And if you have any questions about for me, if I'm knowledgeable, I'll answer. That was it. And so I asked, my question was, how in the world do you get to 55,000 units? Not believe in yourself. And, you know, I mean, like, Practically, you know, give me that. So he takes out a napkin and he draws out a Reg D 506B structure, a fund structure. I had never heard of a fund. I didn't know Reg D 506B. Didn't know any of that. So on our website, I was very specific about this, but on our website right now, you'll see an image and there's a train track that goes 100 miles in the distance. You can see the reason I picked that was for this. It's it's a nod to this evening that I had with with Brian in my mid-20s because it was... I went to dinner with him. I'm like, I know I'm on the right track. I can't see, like, I can't see 10 feet. I don't know how this story is going to end, but I know I'm on the right track. Could be a cliff. Mm. I don't think there is. So it's like covered in fog, right? Obscured, but you're on the right track. You think, well, coming out of this dinner, flying home, I'm like, I could see hundred miles in the future in the distance. Now I know I'm on the right track. I see where it's going. And now all I have to do is execute like a son of a gun. And that has not been my problem. Fortunately. So we left, we, we took the Reg D506B model, 
Uh, it now, so happens. B, yeah. is that the one where you only have accredited investors or is that's that C? Family. That's C. C that's is, yeah. C didn't start until September 23rd of 2013. That was the date on C, I believe. Reg D 506B, this, this timing on this dinner would have been roughly uh, probably around 2007, 2006, somewhere around there. So, you know, 2008 happened, our business was doing quite fine, you know, and we saw a lot of opportunity to buy assets. So this was kind of where we were like, this is the opportunity exceeded our capital. So it wasn't, it wasn't ego driving, like, we're going to go raise money. Like, you know, I'll just be blunt. You see that today a lot where it's, it's an ego thing to raise money. That wasn't, that wasn't our genesis at all. It was a need. Like we saw opportunity. We didn't have enough capital. If we did, we would never have formed a fund. Mm -hmm. Right. So we formed a fund. We raised $2 million. You know, it was friends and family. You know, my wife and I sat at our kitchen table and we literally were like, A, through our iPhone, you know, or smartphone, and then B, and then C. And thankfully we didn't hit Z, you know, but unbelievably people trusted us. And we had an, and it really is unbelievable. They trusted us. We're, I think I was 29, she was 27, saying, Hey, we want to go buy mobile home parks in 2009 when the world had just fell, you know, fallen. It's unbelievable. So we raised $2 million, didn't take it lightly, you know, deployed it. Then we started another fund about a year later, fund two. We're really creative with our naming. Yeah. Now we're on fund seven. You know, yeah, I saw that on your website. <laughs> yeah. 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 We'll probably be a fund eight at some point. But anyway, then we did fund two and three and four and around fund three was a reg V506C. That's the fund that you're you're referencing, where it's all accredited investors. But even when we did B offerings, which you're allowed to have, I think a limit of 35 non-accredited, we mm -hmm. never accepted non-accredited investors. Really? And I know, as a <laughs> if I were a listener listening to that, I'd say, you know, yeah, you may want to have words with me about that statement. It, it has nothing to do with probably what you think. It's not accredited or smart and great and non-accredited or not. That's not at all what it is. It's just that the risks associated with the two types are, are really significantly different. We have never knowingly accepted a non-accredited investor. Okay, cool. So I do, I want to switch gears in just a minute to get some more of the mechanics on the self-storage side. But before that, I want to go back to, I think that's so awesome that you and your wife have started this business together. You know, we talk a lot, a lot of the people that I interview make such a, a huge deal out of spousal alignment. So how did you, did she work in property management before y'all started to do this or how did y'all, you get her on board or okay. go into kind of, can you share if you don't mind? Sure. A little bit about sure. I'll say two things. I'll, I'll answer the question on how, like the genesis of that, but I would also say it's, it's definitely a journey. Like we've learned, I mean, we've learned a lot about each other and a lot about ourselves in relation to one another. And we're, I would say really good at it today, but we're not always really good at it, you know, and, and I would say that's probably more specific to me than her, to be fair to her. But when we started, when I met her, so she has a background in real estate. Her mom can wire a home for electrical. So she, they would build homes, live in them, and then two years and then sell them and take the tax, you know, benefit. But when I met her, she was dealing, she ran, I think it was a 300 unit apartment complex on the University of Central Florida campus. She was the property right. manager. So she dealt with management and she just, I remember early on her saying, you know, I do all the work and you know, I make nothing. <laughs> I saw that, you know. So she, she quickly learned, you know. She was on the other side of the table. Correct. Yeah. So she wanted to go to law school and be a lawyer. She was a double major, super smart. And then I always had this thing where I always wanted to build a business with my wife. 
that was something I always wanted to do. So right, pretty much right off the bat, you know, I, you know, I told her within the, I think it was after the first date, I said, I'm not interested in being your friend. Um, if you just want to be friends, we'll just kill it now. I'm very interested in you, you know, more seriously. This was after our first date, you know, kind of like risky, risky. Yeah. (laughs) I just put it out there and then quickly thereafter, I was just like, you know, I really, when it became pretty evident, you know, where it was going, I made it clear that I, I really wanted to start a business with her and build a business with her and, you know, do it in partnership. And, and so she trusted me and, kind of forewent law school and took a, a huge gamble, you know, on, on doing something together. And so you can have her on the, on the call one day and say, you know, tell me, was it a mistake? I, I, I'd love to hear the other side of the story, but I'm, I'm yeah. willing to say she'd probably think it worked out just fine. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's happy with the outcome. <laughs> awesome. So let's switch gears now over to the, the self storage facilities. Can you kind of go into the mechanics of how those deals work and and what you look for and kind of what the business plan is when when you take over one? Yeah. Uh, so really, it's the same on both mobile home parks and storage. It's just the way you implement the strategy is a little different um, by asset class. So the first question we ask on every asset we buy is: Is it moated? Does it have a barrier to entry? Is there something about that asset that allows it to compete well with? any other competition in the market. And so mobile home parks, that's a really, historically it's been an easy question because they're needed everywhere. They're not allowed everywhere because they're hated and, you know, they're pretty much hated everywhere, you know? Sure. So there's a barrier to entry on mobile home parks. That's the stigma basically. On storage, you don't have as well-defined protection or a layer of protection as, as with mobile home parks. So you have to be more picky. So where specifically does the storage facility sit in the market? So we want to buy in good markets, markets that if I said the city, you would know Denver mm-hmm. and Austin. And we just bought one about a week and a half ago in Philadelphia markets that are good markets. We want the property to be basically in the, in the thick of it. We don't want to buy where people might one day build. We want to buy within, within density. So we want to buy where there's one three mile and five mile densities, you know, in terms of. So it's kind of like the opposite side of the coin from the mobile home parks, which are typically in more rural areas. These you want to have in higher traffic areas. Correct. Although we, the, the mobile home parks we buy now, really the three star, three and a half star, <clears throat> higher quality parks, you know, we're buying in, you know, we just bought one in the Washington DC Metro. That's in the oh, thick wow. of it. Really quite sure. nice. Almost 300 units. Bought one in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, Columbus, Ohio. So we want to buy in good markets, but it's not as razor sharp in terms of self-storage. You you really want to be in an area where there's a lot of density so that it's very difficult to buy land and compete. Because obviously, if, uh, I'll give you two examples. One, if you bought a, a subject property on a main thoroughfare with ingress and egress, easy to get in, easy to get out, easy to see, and there's no land anywhere to build new construction, you know, and there's rooftops everywhere. You know, let's say there's 70,000 people in the, I don't know, three mile radius. So tons of people, very dense, no land available. We like that, you know? Yeah. Um, I saw a storage facility about two weeks ago that somebody sent us, went and drove, the package looked great, went and saw it. And on the on the entry to the, to the facility, and the facility was beautiful, it was really nice. We liked the asset, the, the market was a problem. On the way into the asset, I counted at least 10 parcels of land right on the main road for mm-hmm. sale signs that looked like they may have been put up in the year of my birth, you know, yeah. and they're still for sale. So I called a broker and I say, you know, explain this to me. And he goes, well, 
is like, it's like the population density is so low, nobody would ever build there. So you'll never have competition. <laughs> so, so basically, as long as the market remains crappy, you have a shot. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, that, no, that's not us. Yeah. yeah. And that property will sell. Somebody will buy it. Yeah. No, for sure. I, there's a um, self-storage facility a few miles from my house and there was a lot of vacant land around it. And, you know, I, I bought it for a while and luckily I never acted on it because now there's two more within a one mile area. People bought that vacant land and built up and I, I imagine putting that one out of business or at least yeah, no, it's, significantly it's, reduce in occupancy. Yeah, it's a problem. So more spe- to give you actual specific examples, I'll give you one that comes to mind. There's another one that I could go. So about a year and a half ago, we bought a property in Katy, Texas, which is a submarket of Houston. Mm-hmm. It's a storage facility and the prior owners had built it and it's three story. Basically the ground floor was climatized properly. You know, it's Houston. So hot, humid, mm-hmm. you want climate control. The second and the third floor was climatized using an innovative approach that wasn't by my determination that innovative. They put these giant fans horizontally or I'm sorry, um, kind of laterally in the walls. And the thought was, I guess that by blowing hot, humid air through the building at a high rate of speed, that would equal cool. It just was windy, hot, and humid, and noisy to boot. So the the occupancy on the second and third floor was really low because it was hot, humid, windy, and noisy, and nobody wanted to go up there. So we bought that facility. We properly climatized the second floor in stages. Then we climatized the third floor. You know, I want to say when we closed, I think occupancy was around 60%. Now occupancy is north of 80% and we've owned it for, you know, just over a year or so. And then we also, and that, that one, we, sometimes the unit mix isn't right. So we'll recut up the units and partition. And we did a little bit of that to optimize the space, but every property we buy, we, we want to be able to do something to make it better. And that example was properly climatizing the second, third floor. Do you do any of the ancillary type of incomes like the retail selling boxes out the front or the U-Hauls in the, in the parking lot and that kind of thing? We're not huge fans of U-Haul. We like Penske a lot better. So Penske, the, the quality of the vehicles, their, their logistics we think are better. So we also want to be mindful of truck rental where they're parked on the property if they're parked in the back, if you have to store them in the back, that would be a problem because it'll tear up your drive. All the, mm-hmm. you know, and that's wear and tear, and you know we, you'll have to pay for that. But we like we like Penske. We do sell merchandise. We have bubble wrap and locks, and but we we really use merchandise as a tool for a relationship. And mm-hmm. so we're, we're it's interesting. We're we're incredibly geared around relationship, not in a hokey sense. You know, not kumbaya. You know, sit cross legged in front of the property three days a week. Like practically, like for example, a couple examples from a management perspective, our, our property managers, the, the, the folks that are there every single day. They now, are, are they are they employees of your, y'all still manage everything? The property management company. Yeah, we have a separate property management company that manages all the assets and they're employed by that management company. Got it. And, and so the every single day, you know, they get customers walking in and there's nothing worse than meeting somebody who is they had a tough time in high school and now they're going to pay, you know, they're going to get even, you know, in the office, you know? So that's not our, our methodology. So our methodology is the manager is to always advocate for the customer. So they are your advocate. So if you go into the office and you have a gripe or a complaint or an issue, the manager's on your side, the manager then will contact corporate 
And it's our job to be the bearer of bad news to the extent that we are, but it's always the managers on the side of the customer. And then number two, we, you know, if somebody moves in or comes by or price shops or whatnot, we always let them leave with something, you know, grab a lock, grab, you know, box, grab, we don't charge them, you know, because mm-hmm. it's a tool for a relationship. And then lastly, you know, every, you know, really every time somebody goes through our gates, our managers will go get them a golf cart and find them and bring them ice cold bottles of water, you know, and offer it to them. You know, one, it's a way for them to see what they're doing. It's an, mm-hmm. it's not offensive. You know, sure, it's not, sure. Hey, what are you doing? It's do you like a water and they're looking, you know, so there's a security component to it, but it also gives you a good feeling that these people are you know, seeking you out, trying to offer something of value, try to be helpful. And, and then if you meet them in the office, they're advocating for you. They're giving you bubble wrap and locks. And so the, the whole approach is geared around experience. And so our average customer stays almost 2.7 years, about a thousand days, 995 days, which is really long for storage. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So what advice do you have for our listeners that are looking at getting started or, or maybe looking to, to make that move from, you know, the single families or the small multifamilies up into a, a larger type of community? What kind of advice, if you had to go back in time, would you give yourself? I would say do it again. I mean, you know, I'll say just realistically, I don't know anything better than real estate or I'd be doing it. And I'm, I certainly have every opportunity to do anything else. I just, I love what we do. I think there's a ton of value. I don't think there's, there's much better that you can be doing than building a business in this space. At the same time, it'll probably be worse than you expected in the short run and will probably be better than you expected in the long run. And if you're able to endure and persist and be realistic about those challenges, I think you'll do terrific. Awesome. And what, I had one more question I meant to ask earlier before we move on to the radio round. What are your thoughts, or, and, I, and I think I know the answer, but I want to hear, what are your thoughts around uh, what's going on in the economy today, this week? I would imagine you're not, you're not as, as terrified as, as some of the people in Wall Street might be. It's a really good question. I, I have a longer term view of what I think might happen. But I mean, in the short run, obviously, we're, we're going through right now a, a process of refinancing assets. So the 10-year cratered. And so, you know, spreads are widening on, on loans. But, you know, you're, I mean, you're seeing interest rates in the, in the threes, you know, in some cases, the low threes. I saw somebody post recently a quote that they got in the high twos, you know. Mm-hmm. So all of this on the debt side of things is incredibly helpful, especially if you already own assets. You know, and you're, you're, you know, you went in at, let's say, a five cap or a six cap, and you're now able to put debt on it in the, let's say, three range. That's, mm-hmm. You got a huge spread. So that's, that's incredibly helpful. I don't see a material impact to NOI, to, to net operating income. You know, I think if I were in um, assisted living facility space, that I may be more worried just because this virus tends to target my customer base. And that could be a challenge to the model or, could, you know, that, that place in Seattle, obviously. That's it's terrible. But yeah, I don't think in the short run, I don't expect it to see, I don't expect to see any kind of dire consequences. So I've heard before that mobile home and self-storage perform better during an economic recession. Is that accurate or? I don't, I don't know that I would say that that's, well, by comparison, yes. So relatively, yes, absolutely no. And what I mean by that is if you look at there's data that we have on our site, but basically it, it says, okay, roughly the last 20 years of NOI, if you look at mm-hmm. the NOI growth for all asset classes, the two best asset classes are storage and mobile home parks. 
And actually, as of, I think it was last quarter, it was actually now mobile home parks just overtook storage. Uh, so it's mobile home park storage, very distant. Third is multifamily apartments, and then office, retail, industrial, and, and everything else. Mm. The average NOI growth rate for mobile home parks, I believe over the last 20 years, is around 4.2% per year. In oh, wow. 2008 to 2010, I believe it went to 3.1%. So it was impaired, it went from 4.2 to 3.1, but it was positive. Sure. You know, by comparison, many others went negative. So it performed better than maybe others did, but compared against its own average, it was worse. Got that, it. Yeah. No, for sure. Because you have more turnover, more churn. You know, it's not necessarily like prices dropped, but you may have some more vacancy in the mix. Awesome. So last we have our radio round. I just have three quick questions, you know, help our listeners get to know you a little bit better. First one is what's your favorite book? I like a, a lot. I'll give you a, a couple really like books that have to do with nothing, which are sometimes nice to read. I liked where the crawdad sing. I like that book. I really like the spy and the traitor. Uh, it was a true story, but reads like a bond movie. It's unbelievable. Really enjoyed that book. I'm reading traction right now, which I'm enjoying. And then I really like a friend of mine wrote this book and he's one of the neatest men I've ever met. Um, a guy named Greg Brenneman, who's the former president of Continental Airlines and CEO of Burger King and Quiznos and just a great guy. He wrote a book called Right Away and All at Once. It's basically how to build a one-page business plan for your life. And so my wife and I actually have a marriage. We call it a go-forward plan. It's a business plan for our marriage. Awesome. Um, and we update it quarterly. And it's not just financial. It's we do faith, family, fitness, finance, and friends, those five Fs. And then we have a business plan for those five Fs. But right away and all at once is a good book. Awesome. I'll definitely check it out. What's your favorite quote? Man, there's, there's a lot of them. But I'll, I'll say I, I really love John Wooden. I, I, here's something he says all the time that I use, I use this quote probably more than anything. But I'd say be quick, but don't hurry. Nice. I like that yeah. That's a good one. So what's your favorite thing to do outside of work? You know, it, it, the lines are so blurred. I don't know. I'll, I'll say fundamentally what we do in our business is we serve people well and the outcome is a profit. You know, so it's service first, profit second. There's a lot of things we do to continue the service kind of element. So we, you know, my wife and I, and my wife's a huge champion for this, but we've done, a, we formed a lot of these community groups. They're called giving groups or giving circles. And if anybody mm -hmm. ever wants to form one, we have a model and a blueprint. Happy to share with you. But we, we form like 12-person groups. Each person contributes, you know, maybe $2,500 a person a year, maybe 500 depends on the capability of the group. But we pool the capital, and then we um, find somebody within the social fabric, somebody that we know that's in need. Um, and then we, we have a voting and a betting process. We vote on a gift for somebody that we know, and then the group gives the gift. And so last night we actually had one. But a, a great lady here who works at IHOP. She's passed up multiple promotions so she can keep her schedule open so she can raise her kids. Uh, her awesome. husband just left her by knocking her teeth out, like just dirt bag, just terrible. Terrible story, wonderful lady, loves her kids and working her tail off. Her car's breaking down, can't get to work. And so she can't get to work. She can't support her kids, can't, you know, all of these things. So we, we know one of my good friends knows her and he recommended her to the group. And so we bought her a, a new Ford Escape vehicle that we gave her on December 23rd before Christmas. And then we found out about her the problems she's having with her teeth. So we're paying to have reconstruction, to have her teeth redone. 
and then we found out her, her house had um, three years of back taxes and was about to be auctioned off. And so we settled that. And then we're, we have one of the members of the group is a kind of a financial counselor and has mm-hmm. locked arms with her and is helping her learn how to, and she does, she's wonderful. So she doesn't need much assistance, but just working with her to be in community with her. So it's not just a gift and a run and we feel better and she's no better off. So right. It's, it's finding ways that we can expand our social fabric to serve other people in our community in a connected way. That's probably, you know, that I would say. And then we have a Bible study that meets every Monday night at our house, about 40 people, 20 kids at our house every Monday night. And I love those things. I love community. Awesome. Really yeah. cool. Really cool. Yeah. So where can our listeners find you? Oh man, that presumes they want to. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm you can reach me anytime. Uh, my email is ryan at elevationcg.com. C is in capital, G is in group. My direct line here is 407-602-7662. And our website is elevationfund.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today, Ryan. I really enjoyed it. I learned a ton and I know our listeners will too. Well, thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to the Rent Roll Radio Show brought to you by Crestworth Capital. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please hit the subscribe button and leave us a rating and review. You can also visit us at CrestworthCapital.com or RentRollRadio.com or follow us on Facebook at RentRollRadio or at Crestworth Capital. If you would like to reach us, feel free to shoot us an email at info at rentrollradio.com or sterling at crestwordcapital.com. We hope you come back next week to join us on some more of our journey. Until then, happy investing.